Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry, we have some awesome guests on the podcast today. Yeah, we do. I am so excited about this conversation. This is something new for us. And well, we have two people on together. We have a couple for the first time ever. We've had two people on before, but not a couple. Not a couple. You know, I, I have increasingly felt like as the months have gone on, like you and I are privy to something that a lot of people aren't. I know earlier on in our recovery, certainly in my my drinking days and my active alcoholism. And then in my early sobriety, I wasn't privy to the full extent of both sides of the street. I hate that term, but you know what I mean? I I knew what you were saying. I just struggled to believe it. And the more time that we spent with people, both in my shoes, high functioning alcoholics in recovery, and also the loved ones of alcoholics in recovery, the more I've realized, oh my God, you were telling the truth. Like the things you were saying were right because they keep being repeated over and over and over. And so you thought I was just a liar? I, I thought you were or partially to blame or a little bit of a nag. And now I realized, oh, either you're not a nag or all everyone is a nag. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the second is possible. So we are super excited to, in, to welcome Dana and Frank to the Untoxicated Podcast. How you doing, guys? All right. Good. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. You know, I could say that the reason that we wanted to have you on is because we we want to explore uh, both sides of a relationship and recovery with with both parties uh, present and accounted for and here to to speak to it. But the real reason I want to have you guys on is because I know Dana pretty well by now. Sherry and I have known Dana for a while. We're just getting to know Frank and we're enjoying that. But I know Dana to be super brazen and honest and she doesn't hold anything back. And I just want to watch and see if she won't hold anything back with you on the call. So, so Frank, <laughs> is your experience that uh, you pretty much know where Dana stands all the time? Yeah, I, one of the reasons I'm, I'm not nervous at all uh, to be here with you guys is because I am positive that I have heard every thought that Dana has had about this uh, situation, so. That's great. Yeah. When we first reached out and invited you guys to be on, uh, that, I think that was my introductory paragraph to Dana was, hey, will you be able to be that honest? And she just breezed right over that, like, that is not a concern we need to talk about. Yeah, we had a good laugh about that. Yeah, we're excited to hear a lot of the honesty today. I want to start kind of, I don't know, in the middle or, or even toward the end. Dana, I'm hoping that you can tell us what it was like. You, you've shared with Sherry and I the experience of coming home and kind of sitting parallel, paralyzed, pardon me, in the driveway during either the active addiction phase or the very early sobriety. Can you talk about that a little bit, please? I didn't know about Frank's drinking, so... I knew something was wrong and things were just really crazy. So coming home from work, 
I'd pull into the driveway and there were so many days I would just sit in the driveway and I'd kind of hold on to the steering wheel. I'd look in the mirror and I'd go, I, I can't, I just, I can't do this today. Um, and sometimes I'd even pull back out of the driveway and leave, drive down the street and kind of like ready myself and come back. Um, and that stayed true even through uh, Frank's kind of early sobriety. I, I didn't know what I was going to walk into. So I kind of had to brace myself for it. Every time I came home from work, I knew I was leaving work and it was just going to be more work and crazy when I walked in the door. So you yeah. knew, you knew that the potential was there for something to be wrong. You were nervous about it or pit it. You know, a lot of people describe that because this is a very common thing, what you're talking about. A lot of people describe it as a pit in the stomach kind of a feeling, but yeah, definitely. It, but it, it wasn't even that you knew that there was potential that he would be drinking. You didn't really know that that was going on. Yeah, that's exactly right. I had no idea that drinking was going on. I just knew that walking through the door was going to be like, you just walk in, it was like chaos. My house was just upside down, everybody yelling, a mess, a disaster. He was distracted. I just didn't want to do it. Like, it was just unpleasant. And it was very different than the way we'd lived a few years prior. So yeah, it was definitely a pit in my stomach. Um, some days were easier than others, but it was hard. Yeah. Oh, Sherry, we, when we had a work transition, this is pre-COVID, so it's, it's not related to the lockdown, but there was a period where I started working from home a lot more than working out of the home. And I noticed kind of early on that you were gone all the time. Said, <laughs> I don't think you really have that much to do outside of the house. But you were just avoiding me, right? Yeah, like I was. I worked from the home a lot. Um, I only had a couple of days where I had commitments, and then I had one staff meeting on my other job. So I was like, wow, like my space is taken over and we live in a small house. So like having everybody at the house and it quiet in my domain, that was great. And it's not, and you weren't drinking. So it wasn't like I was worried about that, but it was just this big change, you know, you being there all the time. And I, I felt like, you're going to like, like make fun of me that I watch TV and full laundry in the middle of the day, or I watch T, you know, watch a show while I'm making and prepping dinner. Did you get, so, you weren't terribly fond of me at that time. Did you get that pit of the stomach kind of a feeling ever? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, and I spent more time like walking in the park with my friends or doing things with my friends or finding more exercise or more chores to do at my other job. Like I'm going to reorganize my resource <laughs> So yeah, I just, because you and I have grown apart and you and I are so different in a lot of ways, the way you do things are a lot different than the way I do things. So, and I still had that like fear of judgment and you would correct me and. I, yeah, I just think that's a pretty universal feeling and the way Dana has described it. I, I know that's something that our listeners will re relate to that. Just, I don't want to go in there kind of a feeling. Yeah, I definitely did that thing. I did that thing, Sherry, where, you know, there were days where I'd very easily get sucked back into work at the end of the day where I could probably, I probably could have avoided it. And I know Frank used to be kind of annoying because my 
time coming home was always variable, but now looking back on it, I think it was, oh, you need me for now? Okay, let me fix that thing before I leave for the day. I think that was part of it. I, I didn't look forward to getting home. Yeah, I can, I can totally imagine that. Let's back up to kind of toward the beginning. What, what did drinking look like early in your relationship? <laughs> Uh, were, were you both, were you, were you on the same page until at one point, you know, Frank kept going and, and Dana matured and had kids and felt more, more responsible than wanting to party all the time. What, what's your experience in those kind of early days? How did this develop? Um, well, I mean, we met at a party and then like we were acquainted at a party and then met in a bar. So that probably tells you, um, we did too. Yeah. So there was a lot of drinking in the beginning, um, but drinking in the way that I think most young, you know, people do, like you go out on a Friday or a Saturday, at least from my perspective, that's what it was like. Um, I don't think that's what it was like, Frank. I think it was all the time, really. Yeah, no, from my perspective, you know, I was just fresh out of college and I had a, uh, a roommate, you know, my best friend and, you know, we both just started earning steady paychecks and we just, we lived together and we just drank almost continually. Um, and, you know, we thought that was, was pretty, pretty normal. And I don't think it took too long before it became clear that there was a, a pretty drastic difference between the amount the amount I drank and the amount that uh, Dana drank. And that divide got wider and wider as the relationship progressed. Yeah, I, that, that was maybe for like a, you know, a year we would go out, but then I, it just stopped being fun to me. But then also their weekend kind of went from Friday, Saturday, and then one of his friends started dating a girl who it turned into Sundays too. So now it was like, Oh, Sundays is a thing. And I totally just bailed. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this Sunday thing with you guys. I don't know what this is about. I, I don't live like this. Um, but that was pretty early on. Um, and then it kind of mirrors your guys's story. We started living together and it became clear, like, I'm not doing this. And his drinking, I think got a lot less but it still kind of continued. So it always been a thing, been a thing we talked about like this, we got to get up and go to work. You can't be drinking like this. Very early on, we had a, um, a discussion. It wasn't an argument really about, you know, where we'd be in the future. And I remember saying that, you know, we'd have a 30 pack in the fridge and Dana being like, that's outrageous. That's not something that's ever going to happen. But, you know, in my household growing up, there was always, a 30 pack in the fridge and people always drank after they got home from work and um it was a functioning household you know and now i know a high functioning household but still functioning so i didn't view having the alcohol around like that as as a detriment so that you know our philosophies around it differed from very early on yeah that's that's, that's similar. so similar um, i remember exact we, he was so excited when we got our first like house house, like not a condo or, and he was like, and he came in, he was like, oh, the light bulb doesn't work in this refrigerator because the refrigerator came with the house. 
that needs to go to the garage so then I can have a beer refrigerator. <laughs> Rather than change the light bulb, no, the light bulb just didn't work. Just, <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. like an electrical problem with the light bulb and the handle is broken a little bit. And he's like, oh, that immediately, we need to get a brand new refrigerator for you. You know, like schmoozing me, like, oh, this is going to be great, Sherry. You get a brand new refrigerator, go pick one out. I really want to be a refrigerator for the garage because he knows that I'm not going to go and check it all the time. But same like yeah. you, it always had to be stocked. Always, you know, like that's how he grew up, had to have drinks after coming home from work every night. And it was totally fine. Yeah. I almost stopped drinking at one point though, because it was, you know, I would periodically be a Friday, be like, all right, I'm gonna have a drink, but you know, I'd have like a bottle of liquor on the fridge and that thing, it would just be like, I could let it sit there for a whole year, but I couldn't because Frank would drink it before I even had an opportunity to want to have it again. And that would cause a lot of fights. And then I just was like, this is, I'm not, whatever. I'm not bringing liquor home anymore. This is insane. If I let a Cherry Adams or Samuel Adams Cherry Wheat sit in there for more than a week and a half. Get it. Like, I'm like, I bought the six pack for me. No, you know, I felt like I was living with a roommate. I was like, no. Or he was like, we have to have a liquor cabinet. We, it's going to be gone. <laughs> yeah, what? No, right. Never in a million years. Exactly. Yeah, we for a week, though, you'd think, well, they don't want it. You know, it's already, it's been a week. That thing's almost, it's going to go bad. Go bad. I, I was worried that it was like milk, you know, like it's got yeah. to <laughs> uh, So, so, so similar. Exact. That, yeah, I really, when, when you guys told your story, I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happens with us. Well, we were bartenders, so we thought it would be cool to have a liquor, you know, a cabinet and have all these mixer and, you know, just so we can prepare and I would be like, kind of the saver, like, oh, I'm just going to have one. Right. Like, We've got to do it. And I'm like, you, you can't because you just drink it all too fast. So there's no point in having a liquor. Yeah, I, there was a time when I would get desperate enough to drink like Campari or. <laughs> or, or oh, like, yeah. Because. And I'd make a good well, reason or, for or, it, you or know, like Bailey's. I'm, I'm feeling Italian today, so I'm just going to have this this awful, awful thing straight. There was a, a bachelorette. I, I went to a bachelorette party and I had bought for, it was one of my very good friends for her shower, pink fuzzy, you know, bubbly champagne, pink little mini bottles of champagne. And we had a ton of them left. So I threw them under the counter thinking I'll save these for her bachelorette party. Who's I'm not drinking these. So I go to grab the boxes on my way out the door and like half of them are gone. But I never saw Frank drink one. I was like, who was drink all these? Oh, I didn't drink them. Well, well, I didn't drink them. But the same thing. It's like pink bubbly champagne. Come on. It was the same. It was there. So drink it. Mm -hmm. That was pretty. Yeah, he drank those. (laughs) Pretty much the criteria. It's there. So drink it. I like it. You mentioned toward the top, Dana, that when you would come home and, and have those driveway episodes, you didn't, that Frank was drinking. How, how did you get from where we're talking about right now to the point where you didn't, didn't think Frank was drinking? Um, so there was, so Frank kind of got into the habit of drinking, um, like craft beers. So instead of seeing lots of beer every now and again, he'd buy a bottle of like hot, you know, high percent fancy beer. 
Um, but it's expensive beer, so he'd do it periodically, and it wasn't around a lot. Um, but then one day it just kind of stopped appearing, and I asked, you know, what, what you haven't got a craft beer in a while. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, no, it's expensive. And then he just kind of stopped drinking, at least I thought. Um, so they're just, it was like a kind of, it dwindled. We went from having four craft beers to every now and again being a bottle in there, and then just kind of, they just disappeared. So I didn't think he was drinking. So the, the beer disappeared, the, the drinking went away, but did, but, but how, talk about the relationship a little bit. Um, did, did you still feel like there was drinking in the relationship or did you just feel like something was wrong and you didn't know what it was? And is that a fair question? Is it like, describe it to me. Yeah, that's a fair question. Um, well, so so up until then, so Frank's drinking, although was problematic in the way that I couldn't keep liquor or whatnot, his behavior was never problematic. So I never experienced like an obnoxious drunk person. Um, so I, I never, I didn't realize, I guess, even when he was drinking and I knew about it, there had been a lot of issues, but I never would have paired what came to be with the not drinking or the drinking. Um, but our relationship just got harder and harder. Um, he was like, I don't know, like not around, like totally just distant. He'd be there, but like totally not present. Um, not able to communicate whatsoever, uh, totally forgot. Every, I mean, everything, nothing got done around the house unless I asked like 700 times. Um, it was, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it other than he just largely disappeared uh, and got more and more irritable and kind of miserable. But everybody around us, like, you know, I, every now and again, have this conversation with my best friend and she would be like, oh, everybody loves him. He's fine. So I knew he wasn't right. I knew things weren't right, but I could never point to what it was. I had no idea. He just wasn't right. Things weren't right. Yeah. And so for someone, so, so like in our relationship, the same thing happened, but since Sherry could see me continuing to drink, yeah. you knew what to blame it on. Mm -hmm. You must've just thought we're, we're growing apart, which you oh, know, yeah. that happens, right? Couples oh, grow yeah. up. And kids, you know, it's kind of all right. Well, we both have, I have a demanding job. We have kids, life is hectic. I don't know, maybe it's just too much. Like that's, that was kind of what I was thinking was happening, but yeah, definitely just thrown apart. So, so Frank, as I mentioned right at the top, we've never done this before where we have a couple on and have this. And I feel like we're in the police station and I'm in the police detective and I've got the spotlight and I'm about to start the interrogation. I feel terrible about, about this, but talk us through what was happening when the craft beer disappeared, but what was really happening and what was your, your mindset? So, um, you know, during the craft beer stage, you know, where you go to the store and you're trying to find the um, six pack with the highest, you know, alcohol per volume or whatever. I didn't think I had, I was still at the stage where I didn't think I had a problem. I thought that she was just, didn't understand 
how normal people behaved. Oh man, do I relate to that statement? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I thought what I was doing was, was normal. Um, and then it really kind of came down to, you know, one day um, I realized, you know, we, we had been watching our money a little bit more carefully. I realized I didn't have enough money to make it to, you know, the next pay period and support, you know, you know, the, the drink that I like to have every night. And I had this genius idea of um, I could probably get the same uh, feeling with a cheap bottle of vodka. Those things are dirt cheap. Just make it through the, to the pay period, get back on, you know, my usual thing. But of course I couldn't let her know because she wouldn't understand. So I hit it. And basically how it progressed from there was it was a more efficient way of getting drunk. It was quicker, it was cheaper, and eventually the beer phased out, the vodka phased in, and I still didn't think I had a problem until I was really kind of too far into it um, before I realized that, that, that I couldn't stop. And I, I, can, I can imagine how much cheaper the vodka was and the fact that you you guys are a family, you've got kids. I, you can justify anything. So it doesn't take much to justify, but I can I can just put myself in your shoes and say, I am saving the family money. I'm saving Dana some stress from watching me drink my my beer every night that she doesn't like anyway. You could probably come up with a whole handful of reasons why this was a genius approach. Am I, am I getting it correctly? Absolutely. I, you know, thousands of them. Like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't drinking in front of the kids, you know, like really it was, it was, uh, it was almost strange. It was almost like you could have had it in pill form and I was taking it and, and, uh, and, um, you know, again, you, you justify the lies, you justify the not telling um and then before you know it, you're just you're in way too deep did did you frank did you feel the stress in the relationship at that time and did you just blame it on kids and work and you know stress of life absolutely um i knew that we were drifting apart i knew that she was unhappy um, she had told me, I, I think even prior to me stopping drinking about how she had, she sometimes drives around the block and whatnot, you know, not once did I ever think I had convinced myself that I was behaving the same with or without the alcohol. I convinced myself that it affected me so little behaviorally that even if I wasn't drinking, this is the same she was going to get. So it's not the alcohol. I can stay around. There's something else wrong um, with us. Uh, and I was too busy to figure out really what that was. Uh, because in my mind, I was checking off all the boxes that made me um, a good husband and partner. And I didn't know what else she wanted from me. I'm, I'm so glad to hear this from your perspective, truly, because I, I've, Dana has done a magnificent job telling us this story in the past. 
And she's told it in a way that's fair to you. I'll be honest. She, she didn't just drop you in the grease. But now that I hear it from your perspective, I can put myself in your shoes mm -hmm. so easily. And it's not that, that Dana didn't, you know, like lied to us before, but it's so easy to compartmentalize and to justify. And I'm actually, I'm sitting here listening to you talk and thinking, God, why didn't I ever think of that? That's, that's genius. What he was doing. <laughs> Burn through liquor early on. Like you did all your liquor drinking early yeah. on. And then you're like, I'm just going to drink beer. It doesn't make me so, you know, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, so then the kids just walk around with beer all over the, you know, yeah. But oh, dad has a beer on his but hand. Like, time, but like you said, I grew up in a house where there was alcohol there. You know, my father drank, all the men drank. My mom eventually drank. She gave in and drank because, you know, everyone around her was drinking. Um, and so, yeah, walking around with beer in front of the kids. I didn't, I didn't think that was bad. There were a few times when I woke up after having passed out and there were, you know, six or eight of them around me. And I realized, well, this isn't a good look. <laughs> but, but yeah, I actually feel a, just a slight tinge of jealousy for how brilliant this was. That's crazy, but true. Talk about when, when you guys would socialize. What was your, your kind of swearing off the drinking in public so complete that you didn't even drink when you would go out? Yeah, um, the whole thing got pretty crazy in retrospect uh, because it was almost like I, I was I was overcompensating to the point where, I mean, I was I was drinking a lot of alcohol, but when we went out into public, I would almost overcompensate and not you know not take the beer or only take one or no I don't need another one I have to drive home and there were times where I'd be like you're not gonna have a beer like we're here this thing like have a beer I was thinking he's not having a beer because he didn't want me to be annoyed like I don't care if you have a beer you can have a beer and thinking it was odd he wasn't drinking but still wouldn't have put those things together anything to throw people off the scent because I mean honestly my whole life at one point had become procuring drinking and hiding the alcohol and how, so, how, how did you do that what was the what was the process of keeping it hidden from Dana um, I would fabricate reasons to uh, leave the house or uh, make sure I drove past a liquor store but not before I drove past another store that would allow cash back um, Dana works later than I do, so getting home was never an issue, and you know, hiding it in the basement um, was never an issue. And then beyond that, I didn't drink all night, but I drank a lot at once. Um, and and that was pretty much it, you know. I mean, it, it was it was a lot, but that was it. And then of course, when we go out, you know, beer stop appearing in the fridge. We would go out. I wouldn't drink a lot when we were out because I was trying to, you know, give this image of the reasonable drinker. Um, but there were times, definitely, I think it was his, like, I, I can remember stepping into his space and having him step away and me being like, why are, why, why, I just, why did you get it? Why did you do that? And he'd be like, no, I didn't, I didn't move. Like mm -hmm. you totally just moved out of my, why did you do that? And he did that a lot. Um, to the point where I just like I didn't even like I would never I was not going to go in for a hug I wasn't going to go in his space because he told me he wasn't doing it but he definitely was 
Um, so I kept driving a wedge to where it's like, all right, well, I'm just not going to go in his space because he steps out of it. That, that could make a woman self-conscious about her mouthwash. If uh, <laughs> crazy yeah. near he wants or out of there. cheating. Like, oh well, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Like, did it ever, like, did it, you ever think, gosh, boy, he's so like distant from me emotionally. And now it's like this physical distance. Did you ever think about that or? Um, no, no, honestly, I hadn't. Um, Frank is very um, oblivious to those types of things. Like I've seen women like, doesn't doesn't even real, doesn't register. Like hey, trying to hang on him doesn't register. So no, I, I, I didn't have those thoughts, but it definitely was more like, there's definitely more like we're, this is, we're over, like this is over. It's just figuring out what the next steps were, I guess, for me. Um, I didn't think that though. Wow. In, in just a second, Dana, we want to hear from you about the moment when you found out what was going on. But before we go, one more question for you, Frank. Was there a point maybe toward the end where even your best efforts to compartmentalize and to justify because of the money you're saving and all of that, did it, did it be, before you got caught, so to speak, did it, did, were you worried? Did you realize this is a real problem? The last year or so, I was, I had almost resigned myself and I was like, the only way I'm ever going to stop is if one day I get a DUI or I'm going to get some crazy liver disease. I had come to realize that I needed, um, I needed an outside force. I had managed to go weeks at a time, but you know, you always land back where you start. Um, and I Especially with no accountability, right? Nobody knows. No accountability whatsoever. Yep. You know, we're going somewhere. Well, there's your first beer after a few weeks. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was very, I was, I was scared. I was, I knew something bad was going to happen, but whatever that bad thing was, that it was the catalyst I was going to need to quit. And I don't, I didn't have the, the courage to, to be my own catalyst because I didn't know what was going to happen to me when it all came out. So pretty terrifying feeling, I imagine. Absolutely. And, and did you just feel stuck? So you just keep doing what you're doing because you don't know what else to do, right? Well, no, it's, it's crazy. I swear I did hundreds of days in a row where you wake up in the morning and you say, well, that last night was it. And then seven hours later, you're, 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 you're buying next bottle and you're saying tomorrow is going to be the day. And that happened hundreds of times. And, and yeah, and like I said, I, I, I knew I was drinking myself to death. Um, bad things were happening with me. Like I just didn't feel good. And, uh, and I knew the continuation of this, uh, especially after, you know, my college years and twenties and thirties of not exactly taking it easy that, you know, it was a ticking time bomb and yeah, I felt stuck. I didn't know what to do. And so then, you know, Dana's drifting away from me and I, it's not a secondary thing because I, I love her more than anything, but it was, 
it was something that was just happening in parallel to this other sort of horrible thing I was dealing with by myself because I certainly didn't want to tell her because I felt like that would certainly mean I would lose her as well. So there's the emotional, you know, ramifications of what's going on, the relationships drifting apart. Were there any physical, medical consequences at any point, Frank? Um, I mean, weight gain, high, I had high blood pressure. Um, when I finally did go to the doctor, um, when I finally did quit, uh, my blood numbers were all off. Um, and even I remember we got the report back and I remember being like, hey, it's not that bad. Dana, you know, they're only a little high and a little low on all of these different things. Um, still lying to myself uh, about the severity of the issue in some ways, but um, yeah, yeah. So there was some certain bad side effects. Well, the whole thing sounds so familiar and uh, God, I, I almost, just hearing you talk about it puts me back in that stuck position, that stuck feeling of, I know this isn't okay, but I don't know what to do about it. So Dana, Talk us through what happened when you figured out what was going on. Um, so I came home from the gym. Um, I went down. Our kids had soccer stuff that day. So it was a Sunday. I went downstairs to go do laundry. And I threw a load of laundry in. I'm holding the laundry basket. I turn around. And Frank is standing there at a bench in our basement. Poor, well, I don't know exactly what he's doing. I just know that he was holding a huge bottle of vodka in a paper bag. And it's like 10 in the morning, 1030 maybe. Um, and he's either pouring seltzer into a cup or pouring it into a seltzer can, but not normal. Like this isn't normal. Um, so I just kind of, I dropped the laundry basket. Like, what are you doing? Um, and he tried to tell me, I'm just making a drink. I was like, no, that's definitely not what you're doing. And we both know that's not what you're doing. Um, but we had soccer in like an hour. So when it happened, I don't even, like I, I was, I must look white as a ghost because I felt like, like my whole world kind of fell out. Like everything just hit the ground. I don't know, my stomach, everything. It was like a panic. But also this moment of like, oh my God, this is what has been going on. Um, but he did try to lie to me. And I, I remember being like, shut the F up. I don't want to hear it. I know you're about to lie. We have to get our kids to soccer. And I grabbed the bottle and poured it down the sink. And I was like, you better think long and hard about what you're going to tell me before you tell me. Because if you lie to me right now, we both know what's going on. So you better not lie. Um, and then he told me. You know, that he'd been, he said, I have a problem. I was like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> Literally, it's 10 in the morning, you're drinking out of a huge giant vodka bottle. Um, so he told me he'd been doing this for like the last few years. Um, I don't know, it was a moment of panic and I was scared and I was so mad, um, so mad. But also everything made so much more sense all of a sudden, it was a weird, it was a weird bunch of feelings. It was a lot. And part of the bunch was relief from figuring it out finally. It's yeah. Like you get that diagnosis and it's a bad diagnosis, but at least you know yeah, what it is. It is. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. And that's, that's, yeah, that's an interesting thing, because I, I feel like I'm unlike some of the others um, that we talk with in that way, where for me, finding out he had a drinking problem that I always knew might be a problem um, was a relief. It was like, okay, we can fix this. And if we can fix this, maybe other things would be better. Um, so yeah, it was a relief. How about for you, Frank? Was there, you know, as you, you said a minute or two ago that you felt stuck, was there any relief involved in being found out? Yeah, um, when she initially said, because I did instantly start to spin some sort of excuse. Um, and she said, you know, you better tell me the truth. When I, I, it was, it was just like, well, this is it. The jig's up, it's over. You know, it was almost like, uh, you know, you committed a crime and you, you got caught, you know, you finally got caught after 10 years on the lam or whatever. So it, it was, it was freeing in the sense that I knew it was all over. Um, it was terrifying in the sense that I didn't know what was going to happen next um, with anything in my life. I was, I, I, any sort of control I had was completely out the window. And that was also freeing in a sense, you know, whatever was going to happen was going to happen. And at least I wasn't drinking um, anymore. So, uh, so who won the soccer game? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> like, I didn't go to the soccer game. I don't was soccer canceled in your household after that? No, I, I hadn't uh, actually taken a drink, so um, I was able to drive, and I think we both needed the space. So. I actually, in finding out, I texted his father, which I I never reach out to his parents about anything ever. It's really unlike me, but I was like, listen, I, I can't talk to your son right now. I think I might hurt him, so... Um, I just need you to know that this thing happened because he needs to be accountable to someone other than me. Um, somebody else needs to help manage this because this is insane. And so his father met him at the soccer game, actually. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a piece of the story I wasn't familiar with. I love that. I, I could, Dana, I could picture you. If I was you, Frank, at that soccer game, knowing Dana a little bit, I could picture all of your stuff being out on the lawn when you get back. But not so you could take it with you because that's a better place for her to pour gasoline on it and light yeah. it on fire. That's oh yeah. No. Um <laughs> yes, that that's and you know what? If 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 we were talking um before she had caught me and, and you had told me that that's what was going to happen, that there'd be a bonfire in the front lawn, I would have said quite possibly. Had not had kids. Um, if this had happened pre-kids, that would have absolutely been what happened. Um, I don't even know if I would have bothered with the fire because I would have just been so done with it. I'm like, no, I'm done. It's over. Don't, don't, don't call me. Don't text me. I don't want to see you ever again. Um, yeah. Definitely. So what did, what did early sobriety look like? What was, what was the plan? Um, did, did, you know, I'm sure it took a little while to figure out the plan, but where did you go from here? Um, so I didn't know the plan, uh, getting started, but Dana had a plan quite ready, uh, to go, I think almost instantly, which included, you know, cause I was still at a point where, you know, okay, I, I'm going to quit now. 
and that's what I was going to do. And um, Dana, uh, I will say, encouraged me to go to you know an outpatient program, doctors involved, like the kitchen sink at at the problem. Um, which, if I were to go have gone it alone. Um, I don't think I would have gone about it the same way, and I don't know if I would have been as successful um, as I was. So I'm glad that it went down that way. But within a week, I was in an outpatient program. Um, within two weeks, I was getting, uh, you know, medically assisted treatment. Um, Maltrexone. Um And and just doing everything and anything to, to, to figure out how I ended up where I was, where to go from here. Um, so I wasn't around much in early sobriety because I was either working or at this outpatient program. So I want you to rank these two things in order of importance. You know, you knew that you had a problem at this point, but were you in these programs and working on sobriety because you were worried about yourself physically or was it to save your marriage? I would say that in early sobriety, going to these things was definitely to save my marriage. That I wasn't convinced that I couldn't have quit on my own for my physical well-being. okay? So this extra stuff, I was gonna do in absolute good faith and work on myself as much as I can. Um, but I did it because I wanted, you know, after everything I'd done to Dana at that point, I wanted to prove to her that, um, I did want to work to, to make myself, um, better farther on in sobriety, farther on early sobriety, looking back at it. Um, I'm glad I went because I think it is what I needed in order to actually be healthy, both physically, um, mentally, emotionally uh, for myself. To be clear at the beginning of it, I um, I basically said, you're doing these things or you're leaving. So you're, you're getting, because I think even then, so I grew up in a, my household, we didn't drink, but I have, my family is full of alcoholics, full of addicts. So I understood the seriousness of it. And I think even then, although he knew he had a problem, was real naive about what can happen. Um, so he didn't have a choice. It was you do this or you have to leave. So those are your choices. You're gonna go and you're gonna do this thing or you're gonna move out because our kids deserve better than this. Um, and for me, it wasn't even about me or him. It was about our children. So he did not have a choice. This is, unless he wanted to move out. And I don't think that's what he wanted to do. So as you explained at the beginning, you're throwing the kitchen sink at it, Frank. You're doing the uh, outpatient and just everything that you've got to do. Uh, medical assistance, as you said. How's it going for you, Dana? Are you, are you worried about relapse? Are you just full of anger because of the denials and deceit? What's going on for you early on? Um, it was a mixed bag of things because, so I'd come home and he'd essentially leave, um, so I left work early for a few work weeks so he could do this. And 
there was, it was a mixed bag of things. So I was so like livid isn't even the right word. I don't even, I don't know if there's a word in my vocabulary to capture how I felt in terms of uh, just rage. I, I had a lot of rage, um, but also panic. Like I was scared for him um, because at the end of the day, regardless of all the things, I mean, I love him. So I was scared for him. Um, but also him not being around was really nice. Um, so I would have, it was a lot of work, you know, I was like a single mom. So I come home and I did all the things for all the kids and ran them to all the places and all that stuff, but it was easier. It was easier than when he was home helping me do it. Um, so it was odd. I had a lot of mixed feelings, um, because I, I, I told myself, that he and I and whatever our relationship looked like would come much later, that everything has to be poured to him, poured into him getting better for our kids. So I didn't put a lot of thought into us, but it definitely was really weighing on my mind how much easier it was to not have him around. That's, you bring up a really interesting, really good universal point when it comes to a relationship where one of the parties is in alcoholism recovery, you, Frank, have to be going as million miles an hour as fast as you can toward this sobriety thing because it's tenuous and you, you're nervous about it. You've got these resources that are helping you. You're pouring everything into it. And for Dana, it's a waiting game. It's a, let's see how this goes. I don't know how I feel about this person. I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this person. How does that feel for you, Frank, when you're, you're working so hard and you're seeing improvement, you're sober and you're feeling better. And the person you love is, is now, now it feels like she's stuck. What, what's that like for you? The days couldn't go by fast enough because I knew each day um, was important as far as chances for long-term sobriety. I, I think I used to the idea very early on that the only way that I was going to convince Dana that this was a long-term fix was by doing it long-term. Uh, so, I mean, it was frustrating, um, but, you know, days turn into weeks, turn into months. And, uh, you know, it was just every day that passed, I wanted to be like, see, another day, we're getting there. It's almost forever. Um, but that's that's all it was, yeah. Oh, I love that. Another day, it's almost forever. That's good. Yeah, you know, yeah it felt that way. <laughs> but yeah, it's been almost forever. Yep. <laughs> great. That's great. Um, we've talked a lot, Dana, about how the resentments have to be managed at some point. They have to be addressed. In your case, it's a little different because your resentments are not for obvious alcoholic behavior. Mm -hmm. He didn't get drunk and pass out in front of the kids and you can point to that and talk about it. But, but still there's, there's lingering pain. Yeah. From the deception. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us how have you addressed that in your relationship? Have you gone back over that and talked through it as painful as it is? Yeah. Um, I think shortly I don't know if it was right, right around the 
the time that I joined Echoes, we started going to counseling together. So honestly, and listening to the other women speak about the issue, about the things that they've experienced um, with their alcoholic spouses, I started to realize that I had actually experienced many of those same things. I just didn't know that that, that was what was going on. Um, so I was starting to be able to say, oh, that was probably alcohol. And then the deception on top of it. Um, so through counseling, I think I was starting to be able to do that. But it became really clear that um, Frank still had zero idea that his behavior was so dramatically different or how much his day-to-day behavior impacted me. Um, so it was less like pointing to a particular instance of something. It was more like, uh, the overall overarching thing, like all of the self-doubt that he kind of sewed in. Well, there's a lot of not, I don't think purposeful gaslighting, but constant, like it was constant, like that stepping out of my space thing, you know, he was finally kind of able to own that and be like, yeah, yeah, I did do that but not really understanding what that did to me long-term. So we've been able to talk through some of those things. Um, But I think some of that stuff I'm still figuring out, like until he does something and I go, oh, that's one of those things. Um, And I kind of have to work through what that looks like. But it's been a long, slow kind of trudge through it. So when there's this period that happens that I think you're describing when you're not comfortable, you've got the the anger and the resentment, but he's not making it worse anymore, right? Like like his behavior's better, but you don't care that his behavior's better because you're still upset. Did, Did that at least give you hope? Could you see, okay, someday I could like this guy. Um, not right away. <laughs> um, but yeah, eventually, um, eventually, yes, every now and again, and I think actually only more recently. So it's been like, I don't know, a year and a few months now. Um, so around that one year mark, I started to see like these glimpses of who I remember him being. Um, so yeah, but then some of that progress was also super annoying. So there were things to be like, Ooh, look at me. I'm outside running every day and I'm running six miles every day. And meanwhile, like my whole schedule and calendar has been blown to smithereens. And so some of his progress was also super annoying to me. Um, the battery, you know, I was like, I'm proud of you, but also I don't care. Shop. Um, so, you know, at about a year, yeah, I think that's where it started to be like, okay, I kind of like him again. Um, and maybe more than that most days, um, you know, it's, it, it comes, it's more, more often than not. And before it was definitely the other way around, but it's been slow, really slow. That, that's such an important point that you made when Frank's making progress and like I said, going a million miles an hour and and doing all this stuff that he knows he's got to do. Still, you know, it's funny. We've talked before about how selfish early sobriety is. Active addiction is really selfish, but so is early sobriety because as the person trying to get sober, you've got to still be focused on yourself 
100%. Even if you're doing it to save your marriage, you're still focused on yourself. And I'm, I'm curious, Frank, when you were, you know, clicking off these milestones, the, the six miles of running every day, as Dana talked about, you know, I'm a firm believer that to be successful in sobriety, it's got to be more than just one thing. There's got to be lots of tools in your toolbox. Did you look at it that way? Like, hey, meetings aren't enough on it on their own. I've got to do other stuff and, and getting in good physical shape is something you could do. Um, for, for certain. Um, I mean, I, I ran um, an exercise prior to um, the day that, that Dana had called me, um, but it definitely definitely uh, increased afterwards and, and I think served a different function of just kind of um, occupying my mind. Um, in addition to, I don't know, the, the myriad of other things. Like I, I, I've tried a lot of different things, you know, in early sobriety to kind of do that thing to make sure you're working on your sobriety. You know, everyone says you have to be doing that um, uh, constantly. And as those milestones did get, you know, ticked away, the only thing that remained constant, I think, was was really the exercise. Um, but I'm not sure if that answers your question or not. Yeah, it was a part of your recovery, but it was a part of your before recovery too. Yeah. But it it sounds like, because you said there was a lot of weight gain when you were drinking, it sounds like it was the exercise was having a visible impact. Uh, once the thousands of calories yeah. a week of vodka were out of the way, right? Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't keep the weight on. It was just falling off, no matter what I did. It was, and and it was. I think a frustrating thing for me with with Dana was, you know, you do hit those milestones of like three months and whatnot, and then you know you go from being an overweight, uh, you know, sweaty guy uh, to you know someone who's appropriately weighted. You <laughs> want to be like, hey, look, isn't this great? And um, and, you know, the only reason it, it's hard because the only reason it's great in that moment is because it was so awful before. Yeah. Um, and so even though you're seeing the success and you want to share with it, you know, it's understandable that it would be frustrating sometimes for uh, Dana. I'm going to embarrass you here, Frank. Sure. She, uh, you told us, you know, the, the, the running, the exercise, the commitment to everything you're doing was really working. And she told me you took off your shirt once and showed her your six pack. And I got to tell you, you're, you're around our age. You guys are a little younger than us, but a six pack at our age is not an easy feat. And no. her reaction was, uh, put your shirt back on. Yeah, no, it, really, it is. Yeah. And I have any excuse I can to take my shirt off around her. I do. Uh, but it, it's, uh, it gets the same response. Yeah, no, put it's still, shirt yeah. On. Shirt or no okay. shirt. Nothing, nothing. Put your shirt back on. <laughs> Well, I want you to know I am impressed with your six pack. <laughs> I appreciate that, Matt. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. My my kind of wrap-up question, and I, I want I want you both to answer it, hopefully, is you know, there it's such a long trudge. And you know, you're not there yet. We've talked a lot about how important patience is, how the pace of the two recoveries are different. Can you just kind of summarize it? Is it worth it? Is everything you've been through, is it worth it at this point? You're, you're a little over a year sober. Is that right, Frank? Yeah. yeah. Five months, four months, 
something like that. Are are you are you happy with where you are? Has has the effort been worth it? Was it was what you're doing now better than if uh, if the day before the soccer game, if you had just packed up and driven down the road? Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's uncountably better. Um, definitely compared to where I was, just to be free of of that um, and to hear that Dana some days. Uh, most days likes me now and some days even more than that uh, is just kind of a it's it's an excellent bonus to have um, I'm lucky to have made it out as intact as I did it's, it's it's a lot better than a lot of people are lucky enough to get in, in my situation at a year and a few months are you glad to be sober not just because of the impact on your marriage but do you really in your in your bones feel that this is a better life for you than the drinking life? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like I said before, I, I was I was I knew I was drinking myself to death. Um, you know, and beyond that, the other impacts on you know on my happiness with relationships outside of my immediate family, um, and and you know, with, with work and any, any of the other things I could have been doing with my time, with my kids, you know, with, with friends to, to achieve um, happiness, you know, just got pushed to the wayside and now it's all back. You know, actual memories, not just, um, not just a chemically induced good feeling, you know? So I am much happier and like I said, very grateful. That's great. Okay. Same, same question for you, Dana, you, you know, you've been through a lot. Um, Sherry and I talk a lot about how I'm a little over four years sober now, and we're still working on things. Yeah. Kind of resigned myself to the fact that that never ends. That's we're but we're at a place that's good enough that I don't mind working on it for the rest of our lives from here. Yeah. Kind of like a normal marriage. You always yeah. have to work on some things, but we're kind of almost to that spot. Are, are you, is it all worth it for you? Are you happy with where you are? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I wish it hadn't been like this, I guess, but um, I think even before the drinking or maybe drinking was always in the way, like com our communication was terrible and that's much, much better. And so I think, you know, what you got, what you just said, Matt, and Sherry, like the, the idea of you're always going to have to work on things. There's always going to be issues. I can see that. And I can see that we actually have the, we probably have the skills to be able to keep doing that. We didn't before. Um, and I can see he's happier and healthier. Um, so in that way, it was worth it. And, you know, I think we laugh a lot more than we did before. So that feels much more worth it. I, I can see, I can see a happy future. I couldn't before. So yeah, it's been worth it. A case like yours, when you make it through all the way through, like we said, but you make it to the other side, they're sadly pretty rare. Is there any satisfaction from feeling like you've conquered something that's not easy to conquer? 
Yes, but I will say with the caveat of it is kind of heart-wrenching to now realize how many families this same thing is that they're just dealing with the same thing. It, it's awful. Um, so yeah, it's nice to think that we will be the, the scamp statistic that makes it through, but that's just an awful thing. Um, and I wish it wasn't so under the rug because it's, it's really a problem. So many of us are dealing with the exact same thing, the exact same thing too. It's the exact same story. Um, it is. Yeah. Few, few different details, but the progression's the same and yeah. coming out the other side, dealing with the resentments and the trust issues. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you and I'm proud to know you guys and I'm proud that you are willing to come on here and talk about this. Our, our primary audience is people who are in it, like, like we have been and like you guys have been, but where the message will become really impactful is to the people who haven't gotten into it yet so that they'll, mm -hmm. because uh, recovery is a lot harder than prevention is if only, if only people can understand how dangerous this highly addictive substance is when we, you know, when we play with it and, and treat it like we're fearless. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll reach an audience that, that hasn't experienced this yet. And in addition to the audience that's in it looking for a way out. So I just can't thank you guys enough for being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, really. Thank you for having us. Your honesty was great. I just knew Dana would be <laughs> open and frank, frank in front of Frank, and she did it. And <laughs> that's not generally a problem. <laughs> yeah, no, <that's... laughs> you took it like it wasn't a, a new experience for you to have her sit right next to you and talk about, tell the truth, even when it hurts. Oh, this is almost exactly the conversation we've been having for yeah. a year now. You know, yeah. I was just going to say that I think it's really impressive, like how you are open to receive that. So your program and the work that you're doing is just phenomenal because there are a lot of people that are your, you know, age of sobriety that couldn't handle a lot of the stuff that you you've sat and listened to and taken on and tried to understand and and fix and rectify. So I think it's just been a really nice, you know, it's really nice to hear you and see you both like, you know, accept that. That That's so true. There are so many people in a year plus of sobriety that say, yeah, I needed to quit drinking. It's good that I quit, but my wife was a big nag and it was really kind of <laughs> mostly her fault that I drank to begin with. And they don't understand that we've got to blame the alcohol. The alcohol is the problem the people underneath are probably pretty wonderful people just like you guys are so the more we can spread that message the better yeah honestly thanks so much for being here guys thank you thank you very much before you go we hope you'll consider these three resources if you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. 
For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.